I'm glad now we're coming out with all of it. And nothing to be embarrassed about. Never thought I'd see the day when I could stand up in front of a class of maybe 40 people and I would hold them still. It made me cry. And as well as that, she was on my side. Individual memories and collective memory are really important and Irish society needs to listen to survivors or we will continue to repeat all of these abuses. Research has shown that more than 190,000 women and children were placed in mother and baby homes and county homes in this country. Locked away out of sight once, Survivors are still being denied understanding and empathy from a state and society that separated them from their family as vulnerable children. Pat Dolan, director of the UNESCO Child and Family Research Centre at NUI Galway. What we're getting is, I feel sorry for you. At best, I understand where you're coming from. But we're not getting, I identify with what has happened for you. And I think that, well, from my understanding, and I'm being respectful to the survivors, that's the bit that is missing. Some survivors don't have many memories as they were too young to remember, or the very memories themselves are too traumatic to recall. Others have never forgotten the time they spent at the mother and baby home in June. Sarah and Buckley. Still, many survivor stories were questioned if details were so-called wrong or if they got a date wrong, they were often disbelieved. And I think we need to understand just because someone's memories may be hazy, it doesn't mean that the experience itself did not occur. Individual memories and collective memory are really important and Irish society needs to listen to survivors or we will continue to repeat all of these abuses. Ireland is not unique in the history of institutionalising women and children and particularly those from marginalised groups. A number of Western countries have been dealing with these questions for the last number of years. Ireland, however, has chosen a more closed method when it comes to investigating And I think moving forward, we have to look at international best practice when it comes to the treatment of survivors, records and how we present this history. Maeve O'Rourke from the Irish Centre for Human Rights at NUI Galway agrees. I think we have seen in some official responses to historical abuse survivors the sense that, oh, they're not reliable historians um, and we can't trust that they're necessarily remembering things correctly. Any of us who've spoken to numbers of survivors know that very clear threads run through all of their testimony that altogether gives an extremely clear picture of what happened in mother and baby homes and through the forced adoption system. The difference between being listened to and being heard is another important issue highlighted by Pat Dolan. Even if we forget about Tune for a second, anybody who's listening to this, if you think of being in a situation where you felt somebody was not identifying with you and you were in difficulty or in stress or under duress. Think about how that would make you feel. And think about that happening to you day in, day out, over year after year, and that mounting up, and what impact that had, that negative impact on you. It's just horrific. Following the discoveries in Tune, a commission of investigation into mother and baby homes and certain related matters was established by the Irish government in 2015 
to provide a full account of what happened to women and children in these homes during the period 1922 to 1998. The Commission has taken testimonies in private and there is little sense of a collaborative effort for survivors. Instead, there is a sense it is causing further trauma, as Peter explains. I'm on a low ebb now at the end of the moment to be silenced for what? We're not criminals. We're hurt and damaged so much beyond repair. They're winning, they're winning on the ground. We're, we're getting thinner all the time on the ground every year, every hour. We're getting thinner on the ground. We'll be gone. They don't care. No respect. They're still keeping us, keeping us down, like, you know. We all know that one of the hallmarks of a democratic state is transparency. Maeve O'Rourke. Irish Centre for Human Rights at NUI Galway. They've been treated as if all they need and all they deserve is money, when what they actually have a right to is, be treat, is to be treated in a dignified way. Um, and not having access to your records means someone is still holding power over you in a way that they wouldn't over somebody else who was not a survivor of these types of abuses. And that demonstrates to you and it says to the general public that you are not as worthy as other people of that type of respect. For survivors, I think one of the key things they want is access to their records. They want their medical records. They want to know why they have certain medical conditions. They want to be able to use DNA to find relatives internationally. They want to find out who their birth mother and birth father are. Another thing they really want is proper memorialization. They want this from the state. They want it from the religious orders. And they want it from Irish society. As well as that, Sarah and Buckley knows there are even more urgent needs to be addressed. And probably the most important and practical thing that they need is they need care now. They need medical care. They need housing. They started in this world at a disadvantage and that advantage has not yet been reclaimed. They need advocacy they need the state to stop fighting them on the most basic of needs. We want to know our medical records. I mean, I'm a diabetic and my two girls are diabetic. And uh, I had a, a bypass last year. And the doctors keep telling, uh, keep asking us one question. Uh, Is there anybody in the family that has this or that? And I'd have to say, well, I don't know. We want to know who exactly we are. And that's the main thing. I'm just looking at uh, some of the members are older and and it includes myself as well. I'm no spring chicken either. But the thing about it is their health needs, their medical cards, their, their housing, support systems. And I have a tear in my eye right now, actually, in the sense of we have to fight so hard to get where we are. And that is the hard part. We need to know who we are. While the existing formal records focus on the administration of the institution, a new project led by NUI Galway historian Sarah Ann Buckley and John Cunningham aims to create a more complete and enduring record of the life in the Chewham Mother and Baby Home. The Chewham Oral History Project was set up to archive and document the histories and life stories of survivors from what we now know as the Chewham Mother and Baby Home, but which was also known as the Chewham Children's Home. At present, we are interviewing survivors and collecting as many oral histories as possible. 
After this, we will be interviewing families and then moving on to document the lives of people in the community. And what we're really interested in is those elements, not just their time within the institution, but what happened afterwards? Were they fostered or boarded out? How did their life play out later on? Were they adopted? Did they have a family? These are the details that we think are missing from the official records and commissions. Historian John Cunningham. Even yet, uh, I suppose that uh, history, um, historical sources tend to uh, reflect the official or administrative mindset or certainly the kind of perspective, to show things from the per- perspective of people with authority, uh, with, with, with power in society. So I think it's important uh, to get the view uh, from below uh, and to help to write that into the record in, in the future. In a way, the state is actually keeping survivors at length from each other, at arm's length at a distance from each other so that their evidence cannot corroborate each other's in the public um, consciousness. And that is why we need a public truth-telling process for those survivors who wish for their testimony to be available. We have given our all as survivors. So we now need the government, we need all the human rights establishments to be on our side and do the right thing, but not hide us away again. And so we're depending very much on our advocates, on our archivists, you know, the historical people, people who have influence, that they can go in and put our argument on the table. We are talking about people who have been very severely abused and victimised by a religious order and by a state that didn't care. We need a state that cares now. Despite the circumstances of their birth, Christine, Peter and Teresa continue to embrace life to the full. I love every bone of you, each white shard I made from scratch. I like to go and treat myself in a restaurant or whatever. Yeah. And I go, I'll go down to a pub. I'm taking so many pills for my bypass thing that I I'm take seven up now and have the crack. It's great to meet people that were in the same situation. It's, it could have been worse for them, but it's great to to tell our stories, you know, because for a long time we were kind of ignoring it and just getting on with life, and yet it was inside of us. I'm glad now we're coming out with all of it, yeah, and nothing to be embarrassed about. And uh, my wife Kathleen, uh, we have seven children, in addition to that, we have 12 grandchildren. I had a good number. I, I look enough, I got a, a, I walked my way up. I was in telecommunications. Yeah. I look enough, I got a, I got a, I started at the ground level. I walked myself up. Well, everyone was very nice to me. Here come. It was known as Post and Telegraphs at the time. Yeah. The Post and Telegraphs was known as, uh, as I said, start digging first, then start climbing. And I never stopped. I, I got to uh, be survey tech technician. I just sing in the local choir. I do indeed, yeah. Because I just liked it, and I always liked it, yeah. And then I, I do a lot for uh, sports coaching as well. At the top level, hurling, football, handball, camogie, 
all three. I'm retired, yeah, about 14 years now from the job. But then I went into schools and I coach all that stuff. I never thought I'd see the day when I could stand up in front of a class of maybe 40 people and I would hold them still. Until I met my mum in 1990. I didn't know I was in tune at all. One of the things as well was during our 15 years that I was meeting her on and off, we never really spoke much about her. We never spoke about her time in Shum. I didn't realize the severity of it all, actually, until the last couple of years. But one thing that I did notice, though, that if it ever came up about when I was small or anything, I'd see this faraway look in her eye and the tears would come up. Looking back on it now, if I had known everything that I know now, I should have asked way more questions. Three weeks ago, after 53 years, I met with one of the social workers from Tusla, but they gave me a letter that they had found. Separate from my file was a letter that my mum wrote when I was nine years of age, and the home had closed down in 1961 but she had written a letter in 1966. Her first line was, I hope I'm not breaking the rules. And straight away you think, what was she thinking? And how brave she was to write a letter, even though she might have thought she was breaking the rules. She still went ahead and she spoke that she had had a little baby in 1957. And one of the things that struck me was she put down that she was now married and that she had children and that she realized motherhood. Another thing she put down was that if I ever needed anything, that she was there and she wanted them to know that. It made me cry. And as well as that, she was on my side all along. She was on my side. And to know that is a very, very powerful thing. This programme is a Neon City Stories production in conjunction with the Two Moral History Project at NUI Galway. Narrated by Killian Murphy. Excerpts from the poems Blood, Child and the Harvest by Elaine Feeney. Created and produced by Sarah Ann Buckley, Lorna Farron and Orla Higgins. Script by Orla Higgins and Lorna Farron. Editing and sound design by Alan Meany. Audio direction by Orla Higgins. And original soundtrack by Anna Malarkey. Recorded at Flirt FM, NUI Galway and Bounce Sound, Dublin.